Business Secure. It's a podcast about tech. I'm Michael. He's Curtis. Hey, babe. Hello. This intro has been written by AI. I'm excited to be here. You know, I'm a little bit disappointed with myself in that I installed Windows 11 on this machine a couple of days ago. Just because I get bored. It's the same reason I bounce back and forth between Android and iOS. I get bored. There's no valid reason for these things. I get That's bored. This is probably some sort of character flaw. And based on the personality profile people have assembled of me uh, as a result of my online presence going back to 2008 or so, that's just one more data point to put in there. Then yeah, he gets bored with uh, mobile device platforms and switches them capriciously and arbitrarily. So I installed Windows 11 a couple of days ago, and when I had Windows 10 on here, I had an application, and I can't remember what the name of this damn thing was, but it was an AI music generator. And um, it even had stations that you could listen to of various genres. <laughs> and some of them were actually, like, kind of respectable. There was even there was one that was, like, background piano music. And I tuned this thing in, and I'm listening, uh, to use the verbiage of my grandparents' generation, by the way. I tuned yeah, this in. I tuned it in. And, uh, and Dialed in, and, yeah. I could actually, what I was hearing, envision that just being lightly played in the background where you're having a dinner party or something. I mean, it was actually respectable. They had an EDM genre. I mean, there was a lot yeah, of crap. Say, is it, was it a lot of electronic music? A lot. Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I mean, like when when I'm like when I'm developing or I'm trying to think through a complex task, uh, like my notes for today's show. Uh, I'll play that kind of mute, like something that doesn't require my active listening of lyrics and you know whatever emotions someone's trying to put into a song and my brain's trying to process that instead just play uh, electronic music in the background is that EDM technically is what that's called or is EDM a specific well, this is how out of date I am well what is I mean the, I don't really know what, the title of EDM I don't know it's just EDM and I pressed play and I heard a bunch of electronic music playing <laughs> with a, <laughs> you were at a rave you woke up <laughs> With, I heard a bunch of electronic music with sawtooth waveforms playing. That's all I know to, to tell you. Um, let's hear the kids give it that sort of an explanation. You're not going to get the word sawtooth, I promise you this. Anyway, take a look at our website, isthissecure.com. Uh, the uh, issue with the incomplete episode downloads we think is resolved Uh Curtis, do I really need to re-upload all those shows? Well, no, I, I guess what I was saying is re-upload anything that had failed, that you were still trying to, oh. to get to it. Well, Not re-upload everything. <laughs> it's too late. No, uh, Yeah, so it's, it's fun when I own the site and I have to go ask for permission to, or I have to go ask for access to be able to change the settings for what I need. I, like, I love how these hosting providers... And it's not unique to the one we're using right now, which may be our long-term provider. Depends on if they ever want to sponsor us. And after I say this, they probably won't. But we're, we're using Hostinger right now. Uh, but like it, it's, it's like a Squarespace or anything like that that tries to dumb down the experience for you to the point to where you don't have to know, you don't have to know anything about it. But the moment there's a problem and you want to go tweak a setting, you have to like beg them to give you access to it. Ugh. And now I have access to everything. So it's fine. 
And so I made the changes and now we need to see does that actually resolve it. And if it doesn't, then next episode it will be hosted by somebody else. We'll find out. But, well, uh, with the tens of listeners that we currently have, I think the current host probably will su- suffice, um, but for the configuration difficulties. But once you pass that, as far as you know, just having the resources to do, to do what we needed to do, I think it'll be fine. But yeah. a- anyway, um, so prior to the show, we were talking about printing issues. I use this printer plugin called Print Friendly and PDF. And so what it does is you got a page, you want to print it out, you hit this little button up by the address bar, and it produces essentially what's a reader version of the website. So all the photography's removed, all the ads. It's just beautiful, clean text. And this thing crapped out on me. And so Curtis and I started to get into a conversation about all the printer problems that he has at his house. And I had to stop him. I'm like, Curtis, this is the show. <laughs> right. You would not believe how many times this happens when Curtis and I connect on the feed and we start just like bantering back and forth prior to actually doing the show 10 minutes into it. It's like, dude, we just wasted like actual content here. That's good content, man. (laughs) That could have been used for the show. So I just stopped him midstream. What, and you mentioned something about a raspberry Pi. reboot what you were about to say, please. Okay. So I'll just go back to the start. And before I do that, like I, I was, just want to mention i think almost every conversation we have we could just start a recording and that's an episode most likely because like the best part of when you know you and i get together to talk like when when you said that that you're you're talking show content there i realized we fill up so much content that like if you hadn't prompted for this we would have gone so many other directions it all works out but but going back to the start for for all the stuff that you might think that i am tech savvy on like I know how to tear apart uh, desk jet and laser printers and fix them. And I understand basically how they're all built, but my family, we have a desk jet HP printer, like the built-in scanner, uh, uh, Wi-Fi access, all of that. It's an older printer by today's standards, but, uh, anyway, it works whenever I need it. Like I've never had a problem connecting wirelessly wired over my network. USB, it all works for me. But my family, whether it's my wife or children uh, or, or the random people who come over to my house just to print something, it never works, ever. Like, And it's always an emergency and last minute and I have to get involved. So someone needs to print something for school and it's the morning before it's due and they can't connect to it. So I always have to go deal with it to try to get the thing to connect. And I don't do anything special. I do your standard troubleshooting things. I restart it. I restart the device. I plug it in USB, whatever I have to do in that scenario, depending on the device, I get it running. Well, one of the things that I've been observing is my family never uses the, the color, uh, inkjet part of it. It's always black text that they're printing from and we would burn through it so much and that that stuff's not cheap anymore. So I have been looking for a laser printer. And so I've been researching to, to find the best laser printer, just black laser printer or grayscale that, that I could get that basically has strong reliability is what I care about and a built-in network uh, print server. And in that process, I happen to be at a thrift store. I, I don't, don't know if Goodwill is a national brand, but I was at a Goodwill 
and they had a Samsung laser printer and it was $25. Not only that, but right beside it was a box of toner, a two, two wow. package box of toner for $5. So $30, I would get the printer and it had toner in it too. And I checked and the toner was seemingly full. So I bought all of it for 30 bucks, brought it home. And I'm like, if it doesn't work, I don't care. Uh, and it immediately, it was just fine. Like there's no problems with this thing. Uh, so I'm thinking, okay, what I want I've been thinking for a while that I wanted to set up a Raspberry Pi print server. And I had an old Raspberry Pi zero W, which is the smallest board with Wi-Fi that they, they sell. Now, can I stop you right there? Yeah. Um, explain to the listening audience what a print server is. Yeah. So a, a lot of times when you're buying a printer that either has Wi-Fi print or has an ethernet port on it, that's a, a print server. But in the old days before this technology had been simple, simplified to the level it is now, it used to be for larger corporate printers or network printers in an office, you would have something called a print server. And it's basically a small server device that's connected to the printer and connected to your network and it's managing all the print jobs and all the settings on the printer so your IT team can remotely manage that printer or, or at least over the network manage it they can set up all the permissions for people on this side of the building can print to this printer and people on the other side of the building can print to a different printer uh, all of that could be controlled over the print server uh, so it's basically taking all those settings that you go to locally on it and making it network accessible and this used to be a big deal uh, to to get set up with your printer like it. Now it's been... So with the uh, advent of printers being TCP IP capable, this kind of obviated that. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, well, it just got built in. So rather than okay. have devices that did it, it's just it's a built-in trivial thing now to add to it. Uh, but when you're doing that, you, you have to... So like it's trivial... And there's standards built into it, but all these manufacturers implement their own version of it. So HP still wants you to use the HP app. Samsung wants you to use theirs. Brother wants you to use their app. And that really annoys me. I want one simple interface I can use and that when I go to my Apple devices, those can use AirPrint to find the device. And my so my old HP printer doesn't have any of that capability. It, it was, like I said, it's it's a little bit older. But uh, so I've been thinking for a while, I wanted to make that a, a network printer, like with, with my own interface. And there's a standard called cups. Uh, I guess I wish I could remember what, the, the, what that stood for. Let me see if I can remember. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Computing uh, Unlimited Print Properties oh. Service. It is common Unix oh. printing system. <laughs> you are so close, I'm sure. Um uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I wanted I was to trying not to be. I was trying to give you the stupidest <laughs> definition possible. <laughs> well, th that's the great thing about tech is you could be totally off base. And as long as you sound like you know what you're talking about, you're covered. But so I, I was going to set that one up like that because with the Raspberry Pi, these small single board computers, they're basically a few cores. Uh, well, you can get all the way down to a single core, but the later Raspberry Pis are, are multi-core but they're typically low-cost devices that you can use for, for one task really well. Once you start to do multiple uh, threads and different applications on it, you could really max out one of these things quickly. Uh, and since uh, 2020 and the ship ship, the chip shortages, 
don't know if you've noticed, but tonight I'm going to be shipping words like crazy. Uh, but uh, with the chip shortage, these things went through the roof. It used to be $35 would get you the, the Raspberry Pi single board computer, which has everything you need to run a computer except for storage. And so you would put a micro SD card in it, plug it into power, and you're good to go. So like your price goes up to about 50 bucks maybe for power supply and SD card or micro SD card for the newer ones. And you would have this little computer that could run a print server or it could be an audio device that you connect to speakers like a, an Alexa or Google or um, HomePod. Uh, simple things like that. As long as you kept it to uh, a simple process, you'd be good to go. Uh, so when I got this printer, I thought, okay, th this is the moment I'm going to work on it to make both of my printers connect to the Raspberry Pi and be uh, network capable through the COPS interface and a web interface that, that I manage so I don't have to have any of these other apps installed on my phones. And it works great. So like my HP printer that sucked, for some reason, my family still uses it, but now they're using it through the cup server and it works every time. So like I could have saved myself years of frustration if I had just went ahead and implemented this project back then. I shouldn't have waited until I got the, the laser printer. But the nice thing about it is that you're in charge of what's happening with it. So I could set rules up now, just like I mentioned, but your IT person could set up rules to say you can only print these times of the day or this many pages. Like I can control all of that directly. Well, that's pretty Not nice. That to, but Do you know what the it, model number of the Samsung printer that you bought is off the top of your head? No, I, I, I need to, the, the computer I'm on right now, I just reloaded. So ironically I was on windows 11 on this computer and I just <laughs> restored it to windows 10 we uh, just, yesterday. Like Curtis and I had a planned inversion and it happened at exactly, <laughs> exactly. the same time. It was so annoying, though. So I, I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but I've got my what was my son's old gaming laptop is now my Windows laptop. And it's a Razorblade 13 2022 edition, 2020 edition, not 2022. Uh, it's still a decent computer. But when when he gave it to me, I, I reloaded it and I thought I'm going to go ahead and reload it with Windows 11. And I should have known what I was doing. I mean, I did know, but I didn't care at the time. I, I created my own boot install USB drive, which is now super easy to do too. Like Microsoft walks you through the process. I installed windows 11 and like I typically would do on any other computer. I wiped out all the partitions. And when I did that, I wiped out the recovery partition and razor makes it such a pain to get the image back to restore it. So when I got in and to make drivers available, so I get to windows 11 Everything is working great. The laptop is doing everything I want it to. And I decide, okay, I've got a an older gaming laptop now. I want to install a game on it, and I want to try Elden Ring. Uh, and that's going to be the game I'm going to use. So I look at the specs for it. I see that the the mobile video card that I have is right at the the acceptable level, not not, not what they recommend, but it's it's playable. And I check in my device manager just to double check that what I thought the video card was is it, and the drivers aren't there. Like it, all it shows is my Intel Iris, which is the built-in motherboard uh, video card. It's not the gaming card or video card that's also included. And I noticed that there's all these other devices missing. So when that happens, typically you would just go to the manufacturer's website and you would find all the drivers there and you download them, or you'd use Windows Update to just do it for you in the background. That's when I find out that Razer 
for their laptops and desktops do not make the drivers available for everything. So I have to either go download the NVIDIA drivers. I think it's a 1650 video card is what's in this download that. So I try that and it, it's, it wouldn't recognize it. Uh, there was a network card, not, not recognized. Thunderbolt wasn't working exactly the way I wanted it to connecting to their own device. I have an eGPU from Razer as well, and it would connect, but not access the video card in it, which is the whole point of the thing. So I'm getting really annoyed and that I finally jumped through all the hoops to get, get downloaded the recovery image uh, creation tool again and find out that I have to have a 16 gig uh, USB or a yeah, USB drive. And all of the ones I have around that are accessible are eight gigs. So I had to go buy a, a bigger drive, which those things are so cheap now compared to what they used to be. Get it downloaded, get the image burned to it, reload it. And then I realized that I didn't check to see if there was a Windows 11 uh, image available and I'm back to Windows 10. And then I finally, after the fact, go check. And yeah, all I can do is I'm locked into the vendor's original Windows 10 version. They don't have a Windows 11 uh, recovery image. So, so I'm back to Windows 10. I'm just looking here. I have a utility uh, that I picked up. Year, oh, yeah, here it is. Um, it's saved in my Google Drive as driverbackup.zip. It's called Double Driver. And if you know you're about to do a clean Windows install, all you do is you run this utility, and it actually extracts the drivers for every item in the device manager, the Windows device manager. It extracts the drivers and places them in folders that are named identically to each item in Device Manager and then saves it to whatever format you want. I think it gives you the option of having it laid out in, in folders or it gives you the option of compiling an executable that actually installs them for you on the other end after you get the OS reinstalled. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's really handy. I'll put a, a link to this in the uh, show notes, if you, if you will, <laughs> or yes. on the website and uh, on on the uh, YouTube uh, upload. I'll put it in the, the on, on, holy shit! I can't talk tonight. You know <laughs> you what? Got this the problem is, too. This is what happens. Well, you know what? My uh, seven year old daughter is getting sick, and I don't ever let that cause me to stay away from them. You know, if they want to hug me and kiss me and all that stuff, I don't shy away just because they're sick. I'm like, you know what? It's your, it's my kids' germs. I'm just going to let them hit yeah. me however they're going to hit me. If I get sick, I'm going to get sick. If I don't, hey, guess what? Lucky day. You might stay away from them and get sick anyway. Or maybe they're not sick at all and you get sick somehow, somewhere. I mean, there's no real rhyme or reason, it seems to me, to how this stuff happens. But I can feel it. I think it's, I think it's getting me. But... Plus, after having worked all day, too. That's the big disadvantage for people like you and me who don't do this as their primary occupation. You right. work all day, and then, like, at this moment, I should probably be considering going to bed, but instead I'm podcasting. And, uh, I mean, it's a fun hobby to have, but, it, boy, is it a commitment sometimes. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, it's called Double well, Driver. I'm going to put a link to that in the uh, show notes. Yeah, there's an old version of a program similar to that <laughs> that I would run on systems before I would do, like, let's say uh, I would get a system that would come in that was that my team would manage, and uh, 
actually let me backtrack on that to start from where we'd get a call for like someone says my computer's acting up or I've got a virus, whatever we'd remote into it. See, yeah, you screwed this thing up with a virus <clears throat> technically not covered under the warranty, uh, but we can reload it. Did you uh, use that terminology as well? Yeah. You really screwed this thing up. Oh, totally. No, no. Well, it depends. I, I hope you like, did. Well, sometimes it depends on the customer. Cause like this was the great thing about an old life I had when I was a network administrator uh, was some of my client base knew they screwed up and they knew how they screwed up and they just owned it. And that person would call in and say, all right, one, one of two things. I was on LimeWire on my office computer and I got a virus. And you'd be like, yep, okay, I got it. I'll take care of it. This is what's going to cost. Like it's not covered, but here's what it's going to cost. We don't need to jump through all these hoops. Like you told me it's done. Or the other variation of that, the, the good path is, all right, I was downloading porn and I got a virus. You're like, all right, enough said. We'll take care of it. Just this is what's going to cost. And then you'd have the people who'd say, I came in today and I logged into the computer. And while I was trying to work on a spreadsheet and talk to my boss, for some reason, my computer started acting up and the mouse wouldn't uh, click on what I told it to. And browser windows kept popping up. I don't understand what happened. This computer, I only use it for spreadsheets. It doesn't do anything else. I don't understand. And then you log into it and you see LimeWire and they downloaded porn and they did whatever. And their machine got screwed up. It's like, dude, just be honest. You know, I don't really care. Like, I'm not here to judge you for what you did on your computer. I'm here to get you off the phone as quick as I can and have you back to doing spreadsheets. And whatever else you're doing, I don't care about. So oh, I judge people. I'll call them up and I'll be like, do you know that in Leviticus, <laughs> chapter 19, verse? No, I, I don't do that. Yeah. yeah, what I would say is go to the command prompt, type in salt. Now turn around <laughs> and it'll all be good. Uh, but but yeah, so regardless, the, the protocol was how savvy are you? Because I'll either send you a hard drive and you'll swap out the hard drive and your machine will be up and running at a base image from it. And then you just start working again. We can remote into it and do the rest of it or ship it back to me. I'll reload the whole thing and then you'll get it back. You'll log in and just go. And I had a program like that in those scenarios where like I'd profile the computer to get all the drivers, get the versions of all the programs that were installed. And it was just easy to get it back up and running. But like, you know, when, when you do a job, like, or you help teach other people how to do a job. There are certain things that bring you like that, that you don't realize at the beginning are going to bring you joy that do later. And one of the things that brought me joy was the idea that your computer, when you logged into it, not counting like the virus or the, the LimeWire or Napster or whatever website you went to that got your computer infected. So forget that part of it, but the rest of it, that once you give me your computer to reload and you log back into it, everything is exactly where it used to be. Like you go to Outlook and your quick uh, drop down select would have all like the last email that you had selected. Little things like that, like brought me lots of joy to know that like I could take someone's computer that's screwed up, however got screwed up. It could even be a hardware failure. Their hard drive starting to die and sectors are going out on it. And I could get that machine profile right back to the exact same level it was before minus whatever issue and they wouldn't even realize it. Like I could have come in the middle of the night and swapped out their computer and they wouldn't have known it. It was like that such a great feeling to be able to do that. And it's not something that like, it's not in the manual, you know, it's something that you have to feel your way through learning. You know, what, what are the little details? How do you feel about that, Michael? 
Well, how I feel is I want to know why it is on Windows 11 that in the taskbar I am forced to combine taskbar items. You know, in Windows 10 and every version of Windows below in the taskbar, let's say I have three instances of Microsoft Word open with a different document in each instance. I'll have three separate items down there in the taskbar, one for each of them. It makes navigating the OS so simple, stupid easy, and Microsoft has decided in all of its infinite wisdom to take that option away. And not only have they taken it away, there's not even a registry hack you can do. There's not... Uh, there's nothing you can do. I even downloaded a utility uh, last night that allows you to enable tens of thousands of hidden features in Windows. And even in that thing, I forget what it's called, uh, but even in that oh, thing, it, you can't do it. Is it from that, that computer that does like the the borders program? Because <laughs> typically they're the ones who capitalize on it. I can't think of the name of it. It's some is, but. freeware thing that I downloaded on uh, GitHub. It's not a. Uh, it's not like a for purchase product, um, but it, like if you're wanting to, for instance, have a floating search bar on the desktop in Windows 10, that's an experimental feature that hasn't been pushed mainstream yet. But it is hiding in your OS, and you can enable it with this utility. It does things like that, but. Um, I, I think it's getting to the point where I'm actually going to have to go back to the old days of like start eight when Windows eight came out and they introduced the Metro interface where they just decided they were going to shove a touch interface down everybody's throat, whether you wanted it or not, because Microsoft has decided that that's the way things are now, just as the movie industry for a period of about two years decided everybody wants 3d on their home TV. So when you go buy a TV, you're not going to just get a TV. You're going to get a bunch of stupid glasses that make you look like you probably ought to be wearing a helmet and riding a questionable bus everywhere you go. Uh, you can't just get a TV anymore. You're getting all this peripheral crap with it. So Microsoft kind of got stuck in a rut similar to what the TV industry and the movie industry got stuck in around 2010-ish. And uh, so they shoved this Start 8, and I'm sure everyone remembers the uh, Start screen that you would get in Windows 8. Everybody hated it. It, it was, was called the, it was not everybody the windows because that's windows media center they they basically thought everyone wanted windows media center to be the actual interface which was what metro was yeah it was called the metro interface and you could get to the typical windows desktop the classic windows desktop but you kind of had to know how to do it and if the tile that took you to the windows desktop happened to be deleted from that metro interface if you weren't like a savvy computer user you would just be screwed you would just be wrecked so in order not to have to deal with that at all there was a third-party utility that you could install called star Start 8, and it would give you back the classic Windows start menu and essentially eliminate the Metro screen from your life. You would never see it again, and it made Windows 8 a very usable version of Windows, and at the same time, you got to take advantage of all of the uh, enhancements, some of which were very appreciable in Windows 8. Uh, well, I, I'm coming to the conclusion that with Windows 11, unfortunately, it's looking like I'm going to have to install a similar third-party utility. And I cannot believe that this is how things still are. Like, a guy like Steve Ballmer goes away from Microsoft, and you think that the days of stuff like this happening are over with. You know, they're installing a feedback utility in Windows. It comes pre-installed so that you can directly complain to Microsoft. So you see stuff like that. 
And you think, well, the days of this giant corporate behemoth not listening to its customers, particularly its consumer uh, end customers, those days must be over. They must be listening to what people want now. And they're not. People have been pissing and moaning about this for two years now, and you still cannot separate items on the taskbar. So uh, no matter how many instances of Chrome I have, they're combined into one Chrome icon. The only way you can see these items is to physically move the mouse pointer and hover it over that icon. And it's like such a deal breaker of a problem because otherwise I'm okay with Windows 11 here. I don't have any problem with anything I'm encountering in this OS other than oh. all the bull crap I had to, to turn off before I started actually using this but short of this it's okay i can deal with this os okay so there, there's one deal breaker for me in it uh, and I, i'm similar to you but my my problem is different so i like to go to computer management a lot and the fact that i have to now do two clicks to get to it because it used to be you could right click on this pc on your machine and you would see manage come up on the right click context menu mm. and there you go you're in computer management which i use the command line a lot so it's not that big of a deal but i do find myself going there regularly and now you have to go to other i think it's other options uh, or other settings i forget it's something like that and then you get the then it expands the menu out to where you now see manage is it that hard to just put manage where it's always been what's the executable the the msc uh command to get to that it's yeah. uh oh it's it's not gp it edit that's group policy <laughs> no it's cp uh cp t m g maybe i gotta oh man i've typed it so many times i gotta just type it out in muscle mm, memory no that's not working uh no it's uh You can do uh, comp. Hold on, I'll just scoot. C O M P M G M T. I was getting close. Like I had some of the letters right. If it was a Wordle, I would have been helped by the second. Okay, so answer. you can just hit the Windows key and type that. I mean, if that's your yeah, thing. you can. But like, if you, if I'm in Windows Explorer and like I almost always have Windows Explorer pinned to one of the sides of a monitor. So like I would just go right click from there like that's yeah that's how I, I always it. did it too yeah. yeah I mean like I'm I'm obsessed with keyboard shortcuts and before we started I mentioned that I'm I'm very obsessive about monitors so like I typically oh wait have... you can still do this oh I see you're t you're saying that you have to go to the uh, show more options show more options is it? yeah, yeah. which and is, there it is. It, which is annoying yeah like why there's a way to get rid of that new context menu though. But it's annoying. Like it's just it's just like you were saying. Like, why do I need to use something to do it? That yeah. that's not that complex. Well, no, I mean, like, there's a command in Windows to permanently get rid of this new context menu, so that you don't have to do show more options. But I don't remember what it is. Maybe it's you hold down Shift. Yeah, hold down Shift and right click, and that gives you the it's classic. Annoying. It is, isn't it? Why can't <laughs> why I just I have, to, have it always that? do that? And, and I don't like the uh, little icons they have at the top. Like, I get confused between copy and paste. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I guess what bugs me is 
we were promised with Windows that Windows 10 is the last operating system they're ever going to do, and they'll just iterate on it, making it better and Microsoft better. Microsoft claims they never promised that, but I, mean, I know everybody that, thought I mean, they did. I mean, I, I've talked in past podcasts we've been in before, too, when they said that they weren't going to do any more right. 9X. So the, back in the day, there was the consumer 9X version of Windows, and then there was the NT-based uh, corporate version of windows which was more stable and better memory management all of that so microsoft claimed we're, we're going, doing away with that separation we're going to drop the 9x with windows 2000 is going to be the beginning of one operating system for all and then at that point i was a beta tester for for microsoft and so i would join all their calls where they would tell you here's the stuff we're going to be testing and they announced this is right after recently i'd gotten the message about everything in this we're, we're dropping the two that's like the big thing they were promoting then i then i joined the conference call to find out about the next thing we're going to be testing and they're promoting windows millennium which is the next version from windows 98 instead of windows 2000 which was supposed to be the replacement and i remember everyone on the call who wasn't muted just going like what do you what are you talking about <laughs> like that like you literally just had a big marketing push of saying that there's no more nine X versions. And now we're sitting on a call about you guys have been sitting here developing windows 98's next version, instead of just moving everyone to windows 2000 and windows millennium was a complete failure. It was a, like the, the first version of it that I had was terrible. I'm trying to think if that one was called longhorn, whatever it was called, it was, it was ridiculously bad. And very quickly, everyone hated it, and that's when people started to move to Windows 2000, and then that ushered in the era of Windows XP, which I think we all can agree that Windows XP Service Pack 2 is the best operating system that Microsoft has ever developed. Um, as you were talking there, I installed something called Explorer Patcher. and That sounds safe. Is this secure? I'm not going to recommend that application for anybody. <laughs> In, instead, what I would recommend for you to do is go ahead and send to Michael and myself $100 through PayPal. That, that, it's much easier all around for everybody. Well, and now I have, oh, okay. Now I have, this is nice. Okay, I've got separate items on the taskbar now. This is nice. This is from GitHub. Um, that's nice. Okay. But the Windows Start menu does nothing when I click it, so... <laughs> well, you know, it's the cost of doing business. <laughs> Look, you can have one or the other. You think you're going to have both. You're just a fat, spoiled American. Stupid Western <laughs> problems. Isn't it ironic, though, that like... Oh, there's the so, men, There's the Start menu. But it looks like the you, Windows you had to 11 shift Start click, menu. didn't you? No, it, you just, shift it, it just suddenly started working, but it's the Windows 11 Start menu. The, the Windows key will only work... If you plug in an Apple keyboard and you hit the command shift, then three finger gesture. You know what? I really wish um, your buddy that bought the Mac mini from me. How's that working out for him? Is he happy with it? Oh, yeah, it's great. So like it is exactly the sweet spot for the application he was using. OK, uh, which, OK, well, let me just ask, how is it that he's not pissed off about the monitor flickering? Because I could not get that to stop happening everywhere I looked. Millions of people are having the same issue. It looks like it's a problem with the M1 chipset. I went through three brand new displays ordered off of Amazon. None of them 
would alleviate this issue. I, I changed a million settings. I read a million forums. There was nothing I could do. And it's particularly bad when you're looking at a website in the browser and there's a portion of the website that's dark. The flickering just... Uh, I wish I could have gotten around that stupid issue because I would be sitting here on that Mac Mini right now. So were you plugging in through HDMI? Yes. Or... Okay. And I, I also I tried it through the Lightning uh, port or what, what Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt. I also tried it yeah. through the Thunderbolt. It's something weather-related, that port. <laughs> right. I, I did it through that as well. The storm Same in the issue. port. Okay, so what kind of resolution were you running at? Was it native. by Okay. Whatever's native. Uh, the first, uh, well, well, one of them was a, uh, a very nice, beautiful, curved 4K display. And the fact that it did it on that one, oh my God, that just was such a kick to the beanbag, I have to tell so, you. Yeah, that sucks. So I, I have a 4K monitor too. Like I've got a Samsung, it's not <laughs> curved. Uh, and I can tell you that my uh, Lenovo laptop has the same kind of problem. I, pr I had to buy HDMI cables that have the ferrite cores on both sides. That's the only, like it's a cable problem for me. Because like my monitor will do the same thing, but but that Mac Mini, I use it regularly too, so I use it for the same application for presentation. So there's times I go to to where it's connected, and I'll use that computer, and it's never had a problem. So like it's running. There's the main monitor on HDMI, and then it's got a VGI, a USB C to VGI connection too, and then it also plugs into a Blackmagic design uh, syst uh, through Thunderbolt. Uh, to output four displays through SDI. So it's got a total of one, two, three, four, five, six displays connected to it. And I've never seen a hiccup once. Ugh. You know, when you sell something to somebody, you don't want to hear that they're having problems with it. So in that regard, I'm happy to hear that your friend is happy with it. But it really simultaneously just pissed me right off when you told yeah. me how, ha how happy he was with it. Because no matter what I did, I could not get rid of this issue. And I'm telling you right now, you get you just do a Google search. Mac Mini M1 flickering. It's everywhere. There are countless videos on YouTube about it. Everyone is having this problem. It's a well, chipset. The There's something about the graphics chipset in that stupid M1 that caused this problem. Apple's done nothing to address it. Apple is silent. Well, they hobbled that one, too, in terms of displays. So, like, to... Because I had to help get the second display working through VGA, uh, because that that chipset is so hobbled <laughs> that you can't plug in multiple monitors to it. I think maybe you can plug in two, but you start to struggle after that. So like the extra outputs that it has are specifically for production. Well, wait a minute. Uh, can't you go Thunderbolt into monitor number one and then Daisy Chain through DVI from no. there? No, it, the chipset's limited. So like the the M1 on the first Mac Mini, which is what that one was, and the first uh, uh, through the the first M1 MacBook Air and the 13 inch Pro, you were locked into only one extra display. So two total displays, and if you're on a laptop or, or the Mac, the the iMac, that was your first display. And they couldn't be like daisy chained over DVI like that. One of them had to be plugged into HDMI and the other into Thunderbolt. Is that how it had to be? Well, you you couldn't get that to work because all of Apple in the past, well, it sort of depended on your video card, but it all use it was using Display Link to make things work, and they they didn't include all that. So on the M1 chipset, part of what makes it so good 
is everything's bespoke on it. So every chip that's on it and every execution set that it has, they decided that's what makes ARM so special is it doesn't have like x86 and uh, 64-bit Intel chips. One of the benefits to them is they have execution sets that are huge and run a ton of different applications. So they're, they're multi-use. Well, ARM, when it was like ever since the beginning of ARM, and that's what a Raspberry Pi to call back to earlier too, is an ARM chipset. You only put the execution sets that you want. So it, it can't do anything that you haven't defined it to do. Well, when, so when M1 came out, that's the, the big thing that it did was they controlled everything. So display drivers and display functionality, they controlled it very closely and they failed on that because they, they locked everybody in to a, a few monitors. Now people did find ways to get around it, but so you're telling me that was my problem. I used the wrong monitors. No, not, not, not the monitor, just the amount of monitors. I used like one that, though. Monitor. I mean, I yeah, used yeah, one. No, These are no, modern think, out of the box, beautiful monitors. I didn't buy yeah. cheap shit either. I mean, it, it just, this, yeah, this I, whole Apple ecosystem, you plug things in and it just works. You know what? Blow me. You people yeah, well, who go around saying that stuff about Apple, blow me <laughs> because it is not true. And I'm not a slouch when it comes to getting tech set up. So that, that's your problem. You, you're thinking that you live in a Steve Jobs world and you don't anymore. That's Tim it. Cook that that really is that. it. That is it. Is it not? That is mm -hmm. it. This would not have happened in the Steve Jobs era. Somebody would nope. have been uh, sacrificed for that. Hell, even say, Microsoft fired Steven Sanofsky for Windows 8. I mean, yeah. even even Microsoft is willing to acknowledge their feelings and fire people over it. I guess at oh, yeah. Apple, no, we don't fire people here. We coach. You know, really quick to go back to that computer, this, I find this super ironic. <laughs> that that replaced a Mac Pro. So, like, do you remember the uh, ugh, trash can Max? Yeah. So before, the, so that was doing uh presentation software is what it's doing and that the mac pro that it had before that had worked great for years and it had intel xeon processors multi i think six cores top of the line video card for the time it came out like a very expensive mac pro and the latest version of the software that they used for presentation is called pro presenter when they came out with the latest version they optimized it for the M1, and it did not run. Like, it maxed out everything of that, that computer. It could work, but, like, so think about, like, a PowerPoint presentation. It's some, it's like a bigger version of PowerPoint presentations is what it's doing. Uh, well, well, specifically what it does is, like, for a church or band that's performing and you want lyrics up on the screen and videos playing and stuff. So that's what it does. So, like, you would advance the slide to the next lyric and it would be like eight seconds after you advanced it before it would actually display. That's how bogged down, like the video card, the CPU resources were through the roof, uh, like hundred percent, everything pegged. And so that, like that product, that, that software shipped in that condition. Somebody decided yeah. that was acceptable. Okay. Yeah. So switch it out for the, so that that machine technically is a powerhouse. Swap it out for the lower end Mac mini m1 that you had the thing runs like it's a million dollars because it's optimized for it it's ridiculous and so that other computer 
<laughs> it's now just being used as a desktop computer to surf the web and do spreadsheets. You know, it's not nowhere near which, which those computers are at the, the end of their life, just because all these applications, whether it's like Adobe, like that, that thing I used to use it to render out. Uh, so like it's connected on the network and I would send video jobs to render to that computer over the web when it wasn't being used, like in its off hours. And, it, and my computer would take hours to render a video and that thing would do it in 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And it can't do presentation software anymore. And it, and it can't do that rendering anymore on the later versions of Adobe because they're optimizing everything for the newer stuff. But so there's no reason it should be slow. If um, I were to get an M2 Mini, the new Mini, am I going to run into the same bull crap? I mean, it's a better, like they, they learned some of their lessons. So they've opened up the the video piece of it. Like if you get one, don't get the base model. Get the M2 Pro Mac Mini because <laughs> that one. So the problem is M1, that's the consumer. Uh, M1 and M2 are the consumer lowest end chipset. They feel super fast and most everyone would be happy with it until you get into a little bit more advanced stuff. So the moment you are doing anything 3D, doing multiple monitors, any kind of thing that relates to gaming, then you want the M M2 Pro or M1 Pro. Like the Max is great, but I think most people are going to get away fine with the the Pro version. But I don't even do they even make a mini with the M1 Pro? I don't uh, think they I, do. Maybe they don't. They the studio is when they switch to that. You're right. The 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 Mac Studio is where they introduced the Pro and, and Max chips. Yeah, I'm the, right, Curtis. Let's desktop. get it together. Okay, you're correct. But with the the new Mac Minis, which the ironic thing is, you can get a an M2 Mac Mini for a hundred dollars less than the original M1 version, which that never happens with Apple that they reduce the price. But if you're going to get a Mac Mini, which I think they are great, get the M2 Pro mm. and don't even think about the the M2 base. Uh, what's what off the top of your head? You don't look it up if you don't know. But I mean, do you know what the price difference is between the M2 Pro and the M2? Okay, so this is just off the top of my head. I believe it's like seven fifty. That's the difference. Was, well, no, no, sorry, no. It's t about two hundred dollars. I think it goes from five fifty, well, five forty nine to seven forty nine. Now let me look it up and see how wrong. That's I actually surprisingly minuscule. I mean, if if you're really getting something that's going to be higher end, considerably higher end, particularly where video is concerned. I don't know, man. I'm just scared yep. to dip let, my let toe in this I'm... pool again and have these same issues and be looking to unload yet another Mac Mini. Well, I'll be ready to buy it when, when that happens. Well, okay, let me see. Yeah, I mean, that's a nice insurance policy for me to have, but I mean, oh, <laughs> I hate you to. You mean how close I was? I hate to just rely on that. <laughs> right. Curtis will well, buy this if I don't like it. Well, there, there's other problems too. Like you, you got rid of yours, like at a good time because if you had held on to it for six more months, the value is tanked. So, like one thing, let me come back to that though. Let me just brag for a moment. the The base model Mac Mini M2 is five ninety nine. I thought they had moved them down to the the forty nine and not ninety nine, but they're still at ninety nine. So five ninety nine is the base. So what's that? Uh, eight gigs of RAM and two fifty six storage. Yes, you go up to the next one, which gets you to the pro level, and that's seven ninety nine. So I was pretty. Reasonable. I was fifty dollars off <laughs> between them. Yeah, I mean, 
what you get for $800 is pretty good. Like I personally, I would get 16 gigs on it. So you're going to bump up now closer to 900, but you're going to be happy at eight gigs for most desktop use. You'll be fine. The iPhone 15 is probably going to come out before the next version of the Mac mini does. I would assume. Yeah. They just refreshed the Mac. Yeah. That's like a once every couple of years sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. So, so here's the problem I was going to mention earlier. So all the M1 models that are lower, so all the base, anything that's not the pro or higher, the value on those tanked, which has never really happened on Apple before. So M1 first generation had some problems, was locked into things I think they didn't anticipate. They, I guess what they didn't anticipate was that people would be so excited by the perceived massive speed increase that they got for it that everyone bought them people bought them and used them outside the spec of what they thought they would use. So like professional people are using base M one models uh, for the Mac mini all the way up to the, the pro uh, lap MacBook pro. Well, once they found the issues with it and the M two came out, which is only an incremental improvement over like the, the exponential jump that we saw from Intel to M one is a incremental jump to the M2, but it's still a really good chip, but the price is tanked on M1 machines. And that typically doesn't happen. Like up until the M chips came out, you could still buy a 2017 MacBook Pro, like, or you were, you could still sell it for, a, like you're probably gonna get 70% of the price that you bought it for out of it, which is unheard of in the Windows computer laptop world and like that the, that you're talking about a machine that came out three years prior to the m1 mini right right exactly yeah yeah i mean i sold 70 uh, percent's pretty good yeah i i sold for about i i gave friend discounts so it was a little bit under 50 percent of what i paid for it for a, a macbook pro 2012 several years ago uh and yeah so i mean like i really felt like i got everything out of it that, that i could want and they still got a good deal uh, but see, you're so much nicer than me. You give friend discounts. I give friend upcharges because if you're a friend of mine and I sell you tech, I know you're coming to my ass to help you with it. So I'm just going yeah, go to take care of I, that up front. <laughs> but how many times have I asked you anything on the Mac? <laughs> well, you're a different case, but anyone well, else, you I'm buy also, something I, for me, you're getting screwed. <laughs> and I'm a filter because I'm not the one who uses it every day. I use it regularly but not but i guess more occasionally you know what maybe i'll wait uh, because i think when the uh, iphone 15 comes along i may switch back to ios at that time and that might also be a good jumping point to give the mac mini another try yeah i mean i i would hold out i mean i don't know how right i'm going to be on this but like if you're at all interested in ipads by that point you're probably going to have an ipad with ipad ios that is just as powerful as it, well, it is going to be just as powerful as the Mac mini and also expandable to where you can plug it into a Thunderbolt port and you have a completely portable tablet computer. And if that's interesting at all to you, don't get the Mac mini uh, when that happens. Well, am I going to be able to put this thing in a dock and connect a mouse and keyboard to it yeah. and it's going to behave like Mac OS? Not Mac OS. It's still going to be iPad iOS, eh. but it's so close. Is I it? mean, like it's, I mean, I, I can't think of the thing that you would do on your mac os that you couldn't do on the ipad ios so so my daughter my oldest one is in college and she has a macbook well how about this installing applications that don't come out of the apple app store 
<laughs> okay, well, fine. Uh, but that's but a pretty big that one. Be? That's a big asterisk. Yeah, but the thing is that most everything you need is going to come from the ARB web based anyway. <sighs> I mean, like you're you're not you're, you're right, but I think that that window is is continually closing. Where when you're in the Mac ecosystem, or to say the Apple ecosystem, it's not like what you just did for your Windows machine, where you you just buy hack my or not buy, but you just downloaded hack my windows.exe and suddenly got it to work better uh that doesn't happen as much on the the apple world so that's why i'm saying that like i don't know if you remember but i i've always hated this uh, I've, I've hated the fact that they're taking mobile and tablet and merging it all together into one os but it's we're, we're so close to there like ipad ios is so usable that my, my daughter's ipad pro she's got the the case that has the keyboard and mouse on it and i i use it to try to test to see if i could do away because i've got a surface pro uh tablet that i use and i'd really like to just switch to an ipad just because they're thinner they're a better tablet it's just a better product yeah but it the thing is that with my surface pro i can install any windows application i want to well yeah you've got a pc in your hands exactly but but when you're in the apple world you almost have that now with the iPad. So we're, we're probably a couple years away from it being completely the same, but you're going to end up in a situation where Apple steals from Samsung with DeX to where the moment you plug it into a dock, you've got Mac OS available to you. They are so close to being there now. And that's yeah, why but that. you know something? They're just going to have to get past this fear of applications from third-party sources. Until they do yeah. that, you're not going to completely jump the, uh, you know, the legacy Mac OS ship. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing that I realized. Here's my other hack that I that I noticed with my daughter's iPad. I've got an Azure Windows VM that I can log into from anywhere on the web with my 365 credentials. I can use her iPad to log into Azure and remote into my VM and I've got windows right there on my uh, iOS and I can access the local storage and I could put a USB, I can plug in a USB hard drive to the USB C port on the iPad and I can transfer a file from my VM to that USB drive. That's interesting. And it's like at that point I've got a portal into windows or Mac OS to with my, my, I have a MacBook pro that, pretty much sits just plugged in all the time and I can access it over the web. So like at that point I have all the operating systems I need. Well, you know something, um, there is this open app markets act, which supposedly is going to, if it passes, which I don't know if it's going to, because Silicon Valley has so much power over legislators at the federal level. But if this passes, it's going to force Apple well, Google already Google doesn't really need to be forced to do anything in this regard. They already allow it, but Apple's going to be forced to allow third-party app stores, which effectively means iOS would be forced to allow the installation of apps from third-party sources. This is like if that happened in my world, in my daily use case, the iPhone would be the only phone to bother owning. There would be no reason to own any other device if that happened. Because the the big thing that keeps me coming back to Android 
is the availability of third-party source installation. Because I don't like ads on YouTube. And there's a lot of other stuff on vanilla official YouTube that I don't like that doesn't go away even if you pay for YouTube Premium. So on an Android device, I always install an app called YouTube Vanced. And it's a modified version of the YouTube APK, the YouTube YouTube installer, the YouTube app. And it allows you to eliminate ads and it allows you to turn the display of the device off and continue listening to the audio of the video. And it allows you to skip self-promotions like make sure you like and subscribe. I haven't heard anyone say those words on my device, and I can't tell you how long. Make sure if you like this video, you like and like hit that like button and smash that subscribe. I mean, I have not heard that in so long. If someone in the middle of their video says, and that's why uh, if you think this is for you, you probably ought to check out Squarespace because it cuts all of that out. All that doing stu- that though. Well, it's community driven, so people okay. who use this app are going in and flagging videos, uh, and they're like put they're like marking the timestamps in the videos yeah. where this needs to be triggered. And it is unusual that I watch a video that does not have this crap removed. Can we pause right there? Think about how exciting of a human being that is to hang out with somebody who is community moderating the timestamps of a video. That's somebody that they watched it. That's somebody who's never been in the same room with a naked woman. That is just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I can't help but think about that because. Can I get, you imagine there's... like telling people? I would be so embarrassed to even admit that I do this. I mean, if I got paid for it, if it was my job, then I don't care. But community-driven means no one's getting paid. Nobody's getting paid. There's three categories of people, and I get it that all three of these people are listening, if if anyone's listening right now. But one would be that person who is community helping other people not have to deal with ads or the self promotion. That's it's a cool feature. But like that that person is a special person. (laughs) Two is the person who goes in and does the TLDR of reddit links for people it's like okay that's great thank you i'm glad i didn't have to click that link but why did you do that because there was like you didn't get anything out of it and the the third one is the person who puts a strike on your edit if you edit something on a wikipedia like if you want to find how quickly you can devolve into ridiculousness edit a wikipedia page and find out the people who are just waiting to say that you're wrong You know, like, um, I remember 10 years ago hearing a statistic that there was something like 10 hours of video being uploaded to YouTube every 30 seconds or some craziness. And I'm sure that number is just exponentially orders of magnitude larger now. And and I'm kind of, I'm just like wondering how are there enough people using YouTube Vanced to go in and mark these flags in these videos. Cause I'm telling you, it is rare that I watch a video where this stuff is not removed. Yeah. I mean like what you, so as you're going down the features, I, I pay for YouTube premium and I'm like, okay, so far I've got all that, but I don't have that. And I'd love to, <laughs> because like when someone puts chapters on their, their video, which again, like that one, like you must be making a lot of money on your YouTube videos. If you're going to stop and set up chapters on it, because I don't care, but, but it is nice when you put the, the self promotion and the sponsored promotion in a chapter and I can skip it cause I'm going to. 
Um, those that is like that hardly scratches the surface of what this does. I can override the codec that YouTube uses and choose the codec <laughs> I want to receive. Um, I can set the default video quality rather than constantly having to go into the app and make sure that it's on 1080p or whatever. I got so mm-hmm. sick of having to do that in the official YouTube app. I mean, you tell it, yeah, I want high a high quality video. And then you get in there and you're watching a video that is uploaded at 4K and it's streaming it at 720p or 1080p. And it, it's mm-hmm. so frustrating well, to me. Most people <laughs> don't even realize if you have an unlimited plan with most of the providers, unless you're paying for the premium version, you're never getting 4K content. Well, in T-Mobile, you actually have to go into your account and there's a toggle you have to switch to enable 4K video streaming. Um, you can whitelist certain advertisers in this if you want. Um, you can... NordVPN, always. Let's here, just make sure. Here are the things that you can remove. You can remove home ads... Um, you can remove the general layout ads, merchandise ads. You can remove community posts. You can remove movie, uh, movie upsells. You can remove compact banners. You can remove comments if you chose to. You can remove compact movies. You can remove the movie shelf. You can remove surveys. You can remove short, the shorts shelf. You can remove community guidelines. Um, you can disable end screens on videos. You can disable info cards in videos. Um, you can eliminate any video watermarks. I don't really know what that feature does. Oh yeah. You can just overlay <laughs> like you could have like your, your logo for your channel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Videos. You can remove those. Um, let's see. You can decide where you want the create button to be. I mean, there's like a lot that. HDR max brightness, look it up, youtubevanced.com, and what you've got to do is install the Vanced Manager, and then from within the Vanced Manager, you install both YouTube Vanced and YouTube Music Vanced. So not only are they giving you the ability to have a better experience than somebody who's paying for YouTube Premium, they're also giving you... YouTube music for free. <laughs> I mean, it's t- and it's better than the YouTube music you would pay for because again, it has all of this configurability. It's amazing. So this is yeah, what that- this is the stuff that keeps me on Android because why? Why? I mean, well, you're stealing by having that. Oh yeah, am I? Well, how much of my information has Google sold in bad faith without telling me, without making sure that I understand? exactly what's happening over the years uh much of which occurred before people were even savvy to all of this stuff and the government started passing laws and watchdog groups started writing articles and you know giving the public a heads up about what google's doing i mean imagine how much of a free ride google got in the early years before this stuff even was mainstreamed in the consciousness of the average internet user um I'm not going to shed any tears as a result of not sending money to Google. Sorry if anyone listening to this is in the business of shedding tears over that. That's your hang-up, not mine. 
And so really quick though, have you looked you at didn't, like, you weren't very receptive to that argument, were you? Okay, carry no, on. No, no sorry. <laughs> I just I, I was loaded for my next thing because I, I was looking at some things about this advanced app. And I'm worried about it. First be careful where you get it from because there are people who have fake versions that are loaded with viruses. Uh, so get it from the <laughs> official source for sure. Yes. Uh, which looks to be youtubevance.com. But is. this is what I wanted to ask you. Like I'm I was loaded to ask this, so I I didn't I get what you're saying. Uh but it looks like this for some people, it is locking their ability to use YouTube after a while, depending on the settings. Like there's a scenario you can get into where on that device YouTube blocks you and you can't access anything. I have been using this for years. Years. I'm looking for the last couple of days, like so, I'm just going back to the last three days on the Reddit uh, slash uh, R slash Vanced. It's <laughs> all these people saying, "Is my YouTube account broke or, or hacked, or why can't I see any videos anymore?" And it looks like they're just uh, like people getting the following content is not available with this app. And so, so if they go they, to the official YouTube app, everything works suddenly. No, that's the thing. Is on the device it doesn't work anymore. So like, oh really? They block they you at the device their, level. Yeah. So on their computer it works fine when they log in, but when they do it from the phone that they had it installed, and maybe these people are downloading a, a version of it that's not the official, and that's where the problem was. But when I saw it, it kind of made me stop for a second because like I, I was thinking about like because I'm trying to put my mind in the what, what's the benefit for the like the group that builds this, like the whole community thing we just talked about is also funny, but like, why do you build this app, put so much functionality into it and put it out there. So I, I think we both agree that typically when you get that much value out of an app, which I believe you're getting all of it out of it, but you're the product, like you're what they're selling. It's not, not that app. So what are they getting from you by using it? And I can't even imagine what it is other than just usage data. But, uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I I have Play Protect enabled on my device. It doesn't complain about the app. Um, I have never encountered anything that led me to believe that this is a problem ever. I've been using it for years. The only time I've <clears throat> pardon me ever paid for YouTube Premium is on an iOS device. <laughs> that makes sense because that's what <laughs> Apple's good at is getting you to subscribe to things. Yeah, this is interesting because there's lots of people just in the last, maybe they broke it in a, a recent version. Mm. Who but, knows? Uh, YouTubeVanced.com, yeah, YouTube V-A-N-C-E-D.com if you want to check that out. I recommend it. Been using it for years, problem-free. Now, I guess anything could change. I mean, it's probably technically a violation of the terms of service to use well, this. But then again, why why would this be a violation of the terms of service when this could simply be considered a browser through which you're viewing YouTube? I mean, I understand that this is a modified version of the official YouTube APK file. Um, but it's not really that much of a stretch for somebody to just rewrite it in such a way that that argument can no longer be made. At that point, it just becomes a browser technically through which you are viewing YouTube. And how is that any different than I install, uh, I open up Google Chrome, I install uBlock Origin, and I don't see any ads in the desktop YouTube experience either. 
or, or the YouTube downloaders. Like there's so many of those. Yeah. All of those are blatant violations of it. And those like, they'll get popular. Like little ones will pop up and be popular for a while and then finally get shut down. And a new one is already there. Well, then so, in that case, all you got to do is put the extensions feature in Chrome into developer mode, and then you can install extensions from third-party sources and keep downloading to your heart's content. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I'm really, I like the idea of getting rid of shorts because I just still don't like other than trying to compete with TikTok poorly. I don't get it. Well, what I hate I, about shorts is the number of times that uh, you'll be watching a video and it looks like, wow, this is going to be really interesting. And then the video never pays off. Like the video ends right at the point where it's just getting to what you really wanted to see. And the whole idea, as anyone knows, is to get you to subscribe to the YouTube channel of the person who uploaded that. Well, you know what? No, fuck you. I'm not doing that. I am going to spite you just because of the tactics you are using. I am specifically not going to subscribe to your channel if you do that. And I I just came to find that too many YouTubers are doing that with their shorts, well, and I've stopped looking at them altogether. Yeah, well, they're being forced to because the algorithm is gamed towards it because my son tested this on, on YouTube. So he, he uploads minecraft videos and like he has a pretty steady subscribership and viewership like he knows what his numbers are regularly and like he's done a couple that would go quote-unquote viral so like double or triple the number of what he normally gets which is still very reasonable numbers and then he decided like he would i don't know if you get the emails too where they try to push you push things or like create content with shorts here's how to do shorts with the youtube creator stuff yeah i guess so some of that like, crap yeah so so he tested it to see he's like okay let me let me create a short so he created a, a short of any of his other videos just chopped it down put it up there he got the first video it was like two hundred and fifty thousand views on it and there was no there wasn't even any, any talking or anything and it was just him walking in minecraft so then he's like, okay, this is not real. Like they, they're obviously pushing this actively and calling views something that's not a view. So like he looked into what they described for it. And basically if they put it on the screen, it's a view, even whether you watch it or not, it's. You mean if I just part- see it as a static tile waiting to be tapped, that's a view? Yeah, it, it, it gets you, so it, it's gaming the numbers. So then he did another one. Just to get you uh, all jazzed up about it. Yeah, so he did another one that got close to a million views. <laughs> and so, I mean, again, he knows his his subscribers and he knows about what his video views are going to be. So there's no way these shorts got Well, half a maybe they or- are like replicating the uh, TikTok algorithm where TikTok can just like press what they're calling a heat button and make mm-hmm. anything go viral whenever they want. Well, it's just all these YouTube creators which are generation one and then TikTokers and all that are generation two or three of it. They really only know the idea of views and they think it translates to something else. And YouTube is just keeping them hooked on the drug by saying do shorts because shorts are going to make us competitive with TikTok. You don't get paid. Like he, he, it's not like he made money off of getting about a million views on a video. It was a short and he's not monetized. So it didn't really matter, but you don't get paid the same level for those. It, it's all a trick. Uh, and so like there's hacks both directions. There's hacks you can do on YouTube to make sure you make money by making videos that you know will hit certain demographics and regional 
areas. Like, so if you, if you make a video that goes viral in India and gets 10 million views, you're not going to make as much as if that video uh, became viral in the UK. Hmm. Uh, so that, that that's already a problem. So these creators know how to make their content uh, profit, but then they, but they are still, um, they're hooked on the drug of their numbers. So shorts plays against that and makes them do this. So they jump through those hoops. Uh, but there's hacks the other direction. Cause there's another way that you can make money on videos, which is totally ridiculous. And that's Amazon video. So like people make money on the Amazon app by making short video reviews of things. So like if you're ever browsing on Amazon and you'll see where people do video reviews and whenever you click on them, they're the dumbest things ever or product like when you're going through the different uh, images of a product and there'll be just a random video of somebody using it, that that's like they're, they preload that those make more money per view. So you actually do make more money if you create those short video reviews. Uh, but the same version of that on, um, I almost said Facebook, YouTube as a short is it's all right now it's a scam. It's a scam that they hope is going to pay off later, but yeah, these, these people who go and create the the teaser short because Facebook, ugh, YouTube is telling them to do it. It's not. It's not what they think it's going to be. Well, you know something as right as hateable it. as TikTok is. I sort of there's a part of me that enjoys watching Google panic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, competition is always good. Yeah, it is rather enjoyable. Uh, before we get out of here, I guess I'll go ahead and play this. And it's the end of an era for Microsoft's Internet Explorer. The company announced Microsoft Edge with IE Mode, officially replacing Internet Explorer 11. The tech giant permanently disabled the Odor web browser on its Odor. desktops. Internet Explorer <laughs> debuted in 1995 as a part of Windows 95 and at one point, commanded 95% of the market. Users who Ooh. click on the icon are now being redirected to Microsoft Edge. Isn't it amazing how Microsoft just got sued into that dirt by the feds over Internet Explorer, and then you juxtapose that with what tech companies are doing now in terms of anti-competitive practices, whether it's Apple and not allowing third-party applications to be installed on, on their devices, not allowing third-party app stores, having a monopoly over all of the revenue that that's generated on their devices, which, in my opinion, are not their devices once they are purchased by a consumer. I now own that device, although oh, I'm God. sure there's some, yeah, you know, there's GOS. some text somewhere that has, uh, you know, protected them in this regard. Um, but I, I, I just really enjoy seeing them panic over TikTok, and it's it's hilarious to me watching how uh, they're getting away with so much stuff right now that Microsoft just got sued into the dirt over, you know, micro, uh, mm -hmm. Steve Ballmer and uh, Bill Gates being called to testify before Congress. The uh, SEC, no, it wasn't the SEC. It was the, uh, who? Well, they, they had uh, FTC. No, right. no, SC, FTC. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They had to go the testify. To, I know. mean, it was like, it was craziness. And then fast forward into the future, look at what they get away with and nobody thinks anything of it. And, you know, I heard John Dvorak make the point a few years ago that the feds have just totally gotten out of the business of consumer protection. 
it's not a thing anymore. <laughs> Consumer protection, which used to be what people thought was maybe one of the primary purposes of government, that is just not a thing anymore. So if you think it is, if you think bad behavior on the part of big tech is in any way going to be um, mitigated by government action, forget about it. They're just not in that business anymore. And why would they be? I mean, we're talking about companies that have market values of multiple trillions of dollars now. Do you think that your interests can ever well, compete with that? No. Here's the thing, too, with that. All these people who are in the Fed right now, those are the jobs they want when they leave. So that's a problem. Yeah, there's too. that, too. So, and then second, go back and so, ironically, go Google search for any time like the FTC or the SEC have fined a company for anti-competitive or market manipulation practices, and they get these huge million-dollar fines, millions of dollars. Those don't go – they don't offset, like, the tax revenue that the government gets in. That's just money on top for them. Oh, yeah. It almost never comes back And to if them. those fines are generated as a result of consumers being victimized in some way, that money doesn't go to the consumers that were victimized right. – it just goes to the government. Oh, yeah, we're sorry you guys got screwed. We're going to make them pay for it, though. You know, it's like when I'm watching someone piss and moan about how the rich don't pay enough taxes, and I'm just listening to this, and they think that there's some f magical fairy tale land of gumdrops that's going to immediately reveal itself when a wealth tax gets implemented. And I'm, I'm just looking at that thinking... How is your life going to improve because some rich guy is paying more in taxes? I can't think of any way that your life is going to improve even one iota, not in any conceivable, measurable way whatsoever. And the reason I know that is primarily because I see how the government behaves when a consumer class is victimized in some way, and the government collects a bunch of money to punish the perpetrator, and the victimized class of people are in no way compensated through that money that's collected. That is the philosophy that guides how money moves from one hand to the other when the government's collecting it and the motivations behind why it's collected, how it's handled once it's collected. Um, it's not going to help you in any way whatsoever. So uh, I I don't know. It's time to go. Yeah. You know what? It's well, time to go. Well, really quick with that, it's the same idea as when someone says take a billion dollars and spread it out across all of America. Well, how many dollars are you actually getting in that? It's not a lot. Again, yeah. I mean, um, if it were like spread out, let's say there's a wealth tax and – the billionaires who have just countless billions of dollars tucked away wherever, a lot of which is going to be offshore and not even touchable by the feds anyway, because these people didn't become billionaires by being stupid and leaving their money in this country. But I mean, let's say you confiscate all of that, all of it, you confiscate all of it. A few years ago, there was a statistic that it's going to be enough to fund the federal government's budget for like three months I mean, right. that's, it's nothing. I mean, it's such a, in, it's an insignificant amount of money. It's not going to make any difference in your life. Just as when big tech victimizes you and the government collects, they're not going to use that to enhance your life in any way whatsoever, which is why we are not being protected as consumers. I'm Michael. He's Curtis. This is Is This Secure? Take a look at the website, isthissecure.com. See ya. Till next time.